All right, who loves a summer barbecue as much as I do? Listen, if you want to impress everyone with some super yummy dishes, you need ButcherBox in your life. ButcherBox is my go-to subscription box that delivers high-quality meat and seafood to your door with free shipping always. And I'm talking high-quality cuts at an amazing value. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. We are saving so much money every month with ButcherBox over going to the grocery store and buying meat and seafood and saving a lot of time. But get this, last month we saved nearly $200. I also love that ButcherBox curates these tips and recipes that are based on your box so you know what to cook. I made the most amazing steak with a basil sauce the other night. And oh, let me tell you, my friends all raved at how amazing it tasted. I'm definitely going to be pulling that recipe out. If you want great meat and seafood in your life, you need ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com etm and use code etm at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com etm and use code etm. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I got a couple of questions for you. Are you making six figures but still using your parents' Netflix login? Or are you spending more money at Starbucks than you are saving in your 401k? Look, if you answered yes, there is absolutely no shame in that. But you might be what's called a Henry. That's a high earner, not yet rich. On today's episode, Gideon Drucker is dropping some serious knowledge about what being a Henry might mean for you and your future, and more importantly, what you can do now to begin changing that course. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Compton-Gain where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna. Money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. It is always so much fun for me when I get to have another financial planner on the show because they get to jump in and be the expert and I get to just ask all the questions that you actually want to know. So Gideon's pretty cool. He's he's a millennial, a third-generation advisor at his family's wealth management firm, Drucker Wealth in New York City. And he saw so many of his friends stuck in this Henry cycle that he decided to just write a book called How to Avoid Henry Syndrome, Financial Strategies to Own Your Future. As your friend here, I cannot shout about this message any louder. You have got to own your future. Don't let the interest rate the banks pay you or whether the stock market is up or down or whether you land that big promotion or a big new client determine your financial future. You got to step up and you got to own your financial future. And it really starts with being smart with your cash and thinking about it a little bit differently from everyone else. So yeah, it's, it's owning your magnificence and also getting smart at the same time. So whether you're a Henry now or you're going to be one in the future, buckle up for a great episode. 
We have so much that I want to talk about, but I want to start with something that uh, I saw that you said that the the millennial world is like teeming with smart, successful, motivated professionals, but most of them aren't on any sort of path towards a financially independent future, which I think for a lot of people is kind of like an eye-opening statement. So I want to just start like breaking it down. Like, what are we getting wrong as millennials? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I really, I wouldn't say that it's, we're getting anything wrong. I think it's just a lot of us are waiting to really get started. Um, so we're doing all the right things for how we want to be living day to day, right? Like, as you mentioned, we're making good money. Um, we're comfortable. We're able to eat out and travel and do all these things we want to do. So life is good for the moment. But I think it's just having that little bit more awareness of what's coming down the road and making sure that we are setting ourselves up right, right now for five years out, 10, 20 so I think it's just about getting started and getting motivated to take that next step. So again, it's not anything we're doing wrong, but just kind of right. turning that corner and walking into that next stage of our lives. So I know that a lot of people have this kind of, it's almost like a confusion syndrome. Like maybe they know that they're supposed to get started doing certain things, but it feels like there are so many different things and there's so many different podcasts and articles and, and voices out there about what you should or shouldn't be doing. So how do you even begin to figure out like, like what are those first steps? Like how would you tell someone to kind of, you know, motivate them to, to just start and, and fill in some of those places where maybe they're not, um, they're not doing those things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, first off, I think all knowledge is power, right? You know, being able to educate yourself and the more you read, the more you learn, all that stuff is fantastic. But I think it really starts more internally of figuring out, you know, what are we trying to achieve down the road? Really, like, what are we passionate about? Right. What are our goals? And then actually being able to articulate them and maybe even write them down and saying, hey, you know, here's what I want. I want to have my own place in five years, or I want to make sure, you know, my little kids, I want to make sure they're able to go to college, you know, without student loans the way I had to. And so we're setting ourselves up for the future. And just, I think, being able to articulate that and saying, here are my goals. Here's what I'm looking to achieve. Then comes the hard part of actually, you know, <laughs> how do we make that a reality? But I really do think that's the first step, because like you said, it can be overwhelming to think about all of this, you know, financial jargon, financial stuff all at once. Let's break it down. First off, what are the goals? And then we move on from there. I think it's so fascinating. Uh, you're a certified financial planner. I am as well. So we 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 speak somewhat of the same language here. Absolutely. But I think it's interesting that whenever I would work with people, we would talk about this idea of, of goals and that goals are the roots or the foundation behind your money. Like the goal gives your money a direction. Where where do you want it to go? Otherwise, it's just going in all right, these exactly. directions and like probably not doing what you want it to do. But it's so fascinating that it's sort of like an aha moment for people because it almost seems so simplistic. And yet it is the most important thing. Like you talked about, like regardless of income or what your job title is, it all comes back to that that same idea of the goals and, and the vision for your life. Yeah, exactly. And I think that even about just getting started, I had a couple in last week, mid thirties, doing really well, have a few kids and they reached out because for all, you know, they're making money, they, they think they're saving enough, but they really, they didn't have a plan. They didn't know, hey, what what's this ultimately leading to down the road? So one of the very first questions I always ask is basically what we just talked about. Well, what are you trying to achieve? Like all this money you're saving and that you've accumulated, what's it all for? And it was almost as if, you know, as simplistic as it is, like the question kind of hit them in the face. They needed like a full minute to kind of <laughs> gather themselves and say, yeah, I guess that, you know, I guess we really need to figure that out. Obviously, college planning for them was kind of, you know, one of the first ones. But um, but then I think the more you get into that, it really sets a stage for everything you're looking to do. And it allows you to know, you know, maybe that you're not in bad shape. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. Like when I'm speaking with these Henry's, these high earners that aren't rich yet, it's really not that anything's wrong. They may be in fantastic shape. But like you said before, I like that word direction. It's just, you know, making sure you're in the right direction as you move through life stages. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, do you, I mean, I certainly notice this with couples as well, like couples in general, it, it feels like maybe one person has this idea in their head and the other one has this idea and neither are communicating that. So when they come to a financial planner or someone to help them, it's just, it, it sometimes is kind of a little bit like chaos because, yeah, you know, nothing has been communicated and they all have this, you know, separate vision. And I just keep coming back to you, like one of the best ways that couples could actually like get on the same page is just to like have communication about money rather than kind of keeping it siloed. Yeah, exactly. And I think even beyond just, you know, relationships or just even for an individual, you know, the way most people grow up, 
money is almost like a bad word, right? You don't talk yes. about you know how much your parents are making or what they're saving or just really you're kind of unaware of what's going on in your family's financial world. We all we all grow up with different relationships to money, but it's not it's also not something we really learn in school, right? How to balance a checkbook, what a mortgage is, difference between stocks and bonds, all these kind of basic financial concepts. You know, I always joke and I write in my book that to graduate high school, you needed to have known what like sine, cosine and tangent are, <laughs> right? If you're doing uh, geometry or whatever that is, I'm probably going to get it wrong, which is kind of my point because it hasn't come up, you know, in the yes. 15 years I've been out of high school. Thank God, right? <laughs> thank, thank God, because we would, this would be a very boring conversation if that's all, if that's what we were talking about. But we really, you know, we don't grow up learning about finance. So I think a big part of, you know, our roles as CFP, CFPs and planners is to make you more comfortable that we should be talking about it. And what are you excited about? You know, what keeps you up at night? And I think the more, whether you're in a relationship or not, or two people in the office or one, whatever it might be, to just have that openness. And I think that leads to a lot of you know, great things down the road. And I like that you touched on on money story and, and that kind of like intrinsic, um, I don't know if it's like an ideology or thought pattern around money that we all grow up with, whether we're cognizant of it or not. It comes from our parents, whoever raised us, society, how we how we look at things. Uh, so so you you grew up in a family of, of financial planners. Like what was your money story like? Were you were you talking about money at a very early age? Yeah, I did. And I think that's what makes me maybe a little bit more aware of you know how important that can be. So I grew up just as a quick background. My grandpa started our team, Drucker Wealth, and uh, my dad's been running the show for 34 years now. And so I'm the third generation on the team. Wow. And as my dad, my dad likes to joke around, mostly joking, I think, and telling me once a week that as a third generation, I better not be the one to mess it all up. But uh, you know, we need to keep <laughs> no me pressure. honest. Around. Yeah, exactly. Keep me honest around here. So far, so good. But I think just growing up in that atmosphere, um, you know, we talked about client meetings at the dinner table. He did a lot of public speaking around New York City. So I grew up going to his workshops and just uh, you know wanting to know everything about what he did. And I think that just set myself and my sister Gabby up. You know, we're fortunate in a lot of ways, but just to have that openness about money and that really commitment as soon as we started make, making money to saving it and knowing what do we want to spend it on? What are our financial priorities? That was just something like we grew up knowing, you know, even in high school. And I think that set the stage for a lot of what I talk about now with my clients. Yeah, I like that. I like that for sure. And another thing about you that I thought was really interesting, you were actually a combat paratrooper in the Israeli Defense Forces. That's wild. So I was. My mom did, totally agrees how, how wild it how was. How did you go from that to to financial planning? Right. So so I, my family always, you know, we're Jewish and we always grew up, you know, really supportive of Israel. And I always did a lot of writing and public speaking, supporting Israel on my college campus. I went to Lehigh University. And I kind of got to the end of college, always knowing I was going to come into you know, our financial planning firm. Um, I took like all the finance courses my senior year because I knew you know, I could have been doing that in, in high school. I don't think they really let you. But, uh, but I knew I wanted to come in here. But I kind of realized there was this thing I, I had to do, right, to really do my part for my brothers and sisters. In Israel, I felt like I had to walk the walk. Everybody in Israel has to serve. So that's kind of the tamped down short version of how I came into it. So right out of university, I joined the Israeli paratroopers. I was over there for two years. And then literally the end of my service, I would be on guard duty, you know, reading like, you know, Nick Murray financial planning books wow. and all these other authors my dad, you know, would give me. I can probably guarantee I was the only, you know, Israeli soldier on the border of Lebanon reading those sort of books to, uh, you know, to pass the time. Not the most exciting <laughs> read when, you know, in the middle of the night, not that you're probably supposed to be reading to begin with. Um, but and then uh, so I served over there for two years and then came back and joined the business. But it was an incredible experience. And I really, I did learn a lot over there that I think prepared me really well for what I do day in, day out now. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Like, what are some of those things that you think that you learned that you that you bring into what you do now? So uh, I'll start that by just sharing a quick story. So, and, and I wrote about this in the book, but one night we were on you know, the border of Lebanon, Israel borders Lebanon in the north, and we had just gotten to this new base and my unit was responsible for taking over from the unit that was leaving basically that night. And it was about two, three in the morning, and I got stuck with the first guard duty ship. Whatever reason, you know, throw the American out there, whatever it might be. <laughs> right. But we had like a five-minute security briefing of what was going on, going on around us. By the way, my Hebrew at this point was, uh, we can just say, not that great. I definitely missed a little bit of what they were talking about. But I get out there in the middle of the night, and I'm on, you know, along this fence, and I keep hearing noises that, as you can imagine, are just freaking the heck out of me. And, uh, you know... All night, I'm, what's going on? What's going on? I'm looking out, trying to see anything. And uh, then the next morning, we do this whole security you know, brief. It's daytime, so we can see out. And I realized that in front of that guard post 
know, there wasn't another town for like 200 yards and it was all goats with bells around their neck. Wow. So literally all I was listening to and getting scared about for three hours was, you know, goats walking around very slowly over the course of the night. It was ridiculous. And it was really, I was scared because I couldn't see and I didn't know what was ahead of me. And it kind of just gave me that perspective of that aha moment of a lot of what we do in planning is people get so, like we talked about, people get uncomfortable talking about money. And a lot of people don't really want to know what's up ahead because that can make, you know, that makes it all real. Right. Of knowing, am I going to be able to afford my kids college or retire when I want or change careers? And I think just having that perspective of, you know, the more information you have, the more you, you know, gaining perspective of thinking more long term, it allows us to freak out a lot less in the moment and allows us to do what we need to do um, you know, right now. And then I just think lastly, kind of that perspective uh, and same type of thing, but that perspective of the future is going to come and we want to prepare ourselves as best as we can. You know, I spent a lot of weeks in the field training and marching and you know, always tired and hungry. And while you're living in it, you kind of think like it's never going to end. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, right. you're counting the minutes, you're looking at your watch, like, wow, this is brutal. When's it going to end? But eventually it does. And then you're on to the next thing and you almost forget that, you know, how you felt in the moment. And so much of what I'm trying to do with my younger Henry clients is if I can get them to see, you know, they're 30 or 35 and I can see their life at 40 or 45 through retirement and just think a little bit more, hey, we're going to get there. And the more we do now to set yourself up, the easier it's going to be. Um, I think that just that goes a long way. And that's really like my day in, day out goal here. What a wild experience that, I mean, I just can't even imagine what that must have been like. Um, But I love the, I love the parallels. And you talk about, about your book, your new book, how to avoid the Henry syndrome. And I, I, that might be a new word for, for a lot of people. I've certainly heard it a lot, but let's talk a little bit like what it, what is a Henry? What, what makes a Henry a Henry? Right. So Henry, first off is a high earner. That's not rich yet. And my dad's favorite example of what a Henry is, if you know, you're making six figures, you're living comfortably, but you're still on your parents' cell phone bill or Netflix account, you might definitely, no. <laughs> might definitely be a Henry. That might be a personal shot. At me, I'm not quite so sure. But, you know, so that's, that's one way. But really, a Henry is you're making good money and you're living comfortably, right? You're able to travel a few times a year. You go to the, gyms, the gym you want. You go out with friends. And you're kind of living this day-to-day lifestyle that, no, you know, real no financial worries. You're not really thinking so much about day in, day out what you're spending, but you're also not really getting any closer to reaching that next level of your life. And again, that might be buying a home or buying a vacation home or kids college or being able to, you know, I heard this last week of somebody saying, hey, I know I can't retire, you know, in five years, she was 35, but I'd like to be able to take some time off, you know, in the next five years and six, eight months traveling out east. You know, how do we get there? And so a lot of this Henry mentality is it's not about dollar and cents of, you know, what are you making? What do you have? But it's that I could be doing more and you almost feel like you're running in place, right? Like all that income you're making, it's kind of just cycling through you without, you know, without you advancing to that next step. Yeah. What are like, what are some of those risks that uh, like a Henry type person is taking when they're just kind of, you know, month after month living the same life, having, having good cash flow, but like you say, like not, not advancing, like are, are there any sort of inherent risks in, um, you know, not maybe shoring up some of these things that you need to? Yeah. I mean, I think the first most like obvious one is just that your income, you know, all the money you've made to this point almost doesn't matter anymore. I remember one of my, you know, my earliest clients, he was you know, in tech and doing really well. And over the first five years of his career, he just, he really didn't save that much. You know, his accounts went up, right? The amount he was saving just yeah. because he was saving some money and he figured, Hey, you know, my checking account's going up. My 401k is going up. I'm in pretty good shape. But when we really got down to it, he was saving maybe 10% of his income. So what I did, I put on the on my whiteboard that I'm looking at right now. I said, here's how much you've made over the last five years. And again, he did well. You know, all in, it was probably close to a million bucks over that five-year period. And I said, here's how much you've actually you know, taken home. Here's how much is in your pocket right now because of all that work you put in. And it was, again, 10%. It was close to 100000 I said, all that money that you've made, like, you know, and I didn't say it in exactly this, you know, harsh of terms, but that money's really not there anymore. Right. Like those long hours, those late nights, weekends, you know, because of how much we save that's you know, we never get the opportunity to make that money back. And for him, just seeing it visually out and saying, wow, you know, that a million bucks. And, you know, what do I what do I have right now that actually you know prepares me moving forward? So I think that's the first thing is just that opportunity cost of not not focusing a little bit more on saving that extra five percent or having more of a plan for how you're spending money each month. Um, you know, that's the first thing. And then, you know, the best thing we have going for us as Henry's, as high earners when we're young, 
is the power of compound interest, right? The eighth one. Yeah. Overall, in yeah. That talk we, a little bit about that. Yeah. The more time we have for our money to work on our behalf, uh, my dad always says it's, you know, time in the market as opposed to timing the market, right? So compound interest means that your interest is making money on top of itself. So if we start out with a hundred bucks, right? A hundred dollars and we make 10%. Well, now we have 110 the next year. If we made that same 10% the following year, we're not making another $10. We're more making like 12, 13 because it's compounding on itself. So the more time we give our money to grow over the long term, right? When we're starting out at 18 or 22, the better it's going to do for us over time, just by the nature that we have more time ahead of us. And obviously, that, I'm not saying you're going to make 10% a year or anything like that. It's just a super easy way for me to do the math in my head. Yes. But you get the any number, you know, it's going to it's going to work out the more time. So tell me, what are your money goals that you have for this year? Maybe you're like me and endlessly looking for a house to buy and you're focused on saving for a down payment or you're drooling over traveling somewhere tropical this year and you want to save to pay for it or you're ready to leave your job and build your own business. So you're going to need some startup funds. Whatever your goals are this year, Monarch can help you reach them. In fact, the Wall Street Journal named Monarch the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. What I love about Monarch is its simple and easy customizable design, so the dashboard can look exactly the way you want it to. I'm also a big fan of creating custom budgets for things like travel. It's one of my favorite money tips. And Monarch lets you do this so easily. This is such a great way to stay motivated when you've got a lot of money goals. You can easily track your progress with every dollar that you save or spend. Remember, your brain loves to see progress and you should celebrate it when you're saving money. And honestly, I am so focused on privacy, so I really admire that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties. This means a lot to me and it should mean a lot to you as well. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of the show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. I know I'm a bit biased, but honestly, I think I have the best dog ever. Her name is Winnie Stardust. She is a golden mountain doodle and she is full of spunk and fun and she's never met a ball she does not love. I honestly, I would do anything for Winnie and she has enriched my life so much. I can confidently say Winnie is absolutely one of the most priceless purchases I have ever made. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. In today's world, we insure a lot, from cars and homes to cell phones and even travel plans. But what about insurance for your cat or dog? With ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. This is what I call smart spending because, let's be real, those vet bills, they can be expensive. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program, they've been around for about 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure your pet's plan is unique as they are. Because vet bills, they can really add up, especially when you are least expecting it. It's simple. You use their app to submit a claim, and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTC Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. I have to tell you about my new obsession, Notion, our sponsor today. Notion has single-handedly changed how I do life for the better. I use Notion for all my daily journaling so I can keep it all in one spot. 
I also keep all our favorite recipes that are budget-friendly in Notion so I can easily sort and find the ones I love and easily create fast grocery lists. And okay, one of the best uses of Notion, you can create a template for your money dates and track your goals right in Notion. Seriously, Notion is a game changer. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but really getting inspired. It's an AI-powered workspace. It turns knowledge into action. You can use Notion to summarize meeting notes and auto-generate action items, get answers to questions in minute, and you can make all of your money tasks so much easier. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, freelance designer, starting a new startup, a student juggling classes and clubs, or just somebody really wanting to get your life together. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash etm. That's all lowercase letters. Notion.com slash etm and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com slash etm. It's Tuesday, and we've got another Ask Shauna. And this one comes from Brandon. And Brandon says, Hey, Shauna, I'm a fan of the show, and I've been listening from way back in 2016. And I admit I have wanted to ask a question for a long time now, but I've been a bit shy, which is crazy because there are like a million Brandons out there anyway. So who would know that it's actually me? But the point is, I'm here now and I'm asking the question. I'm trying to figure out something. So I got a job offer from a new company and they're willing to pay me about 20% more than my other job. Not great, but it's okay. The problem is, is that their benefits are terrible as far as health insurance and they don't even offer a match on their 401k. My current company offers a nice 50% match up to 6%. So I've been able to stash away some really good money. I really like the new job offer. I mean, the company, but does it make sense to walk away from good benefits just for a 20% pay increase? I know there are so many variables to this answer, but just curious what your gut reaction might be. Brandon, I'm so glad that you decided to ask the question. See, it's not that tough, right? <laughs> uh, congrats on the new job. And you're right. This, this kind of is a, is a tough question. I'm going to give you my my gut reaction, my two cents, a couple of things to think about uh, that will hopefully point you in the right direction. The first thing is, have you talked to the HR department at the new job to see really exactly what their entire benefit package would be like? Maybe they might offer some other good benefits that might make it enticing that you just aren't aware of at the time. And I know that sounds like an obvious thing, but sometimes I think when we get offered a new job, we think that we can't ask, hey, can we can we see the benefits package? Can we talk to someone in HR? And that can't be further from the truth. Those things are all possible and they should be available to you. I think another thing to think about is I'm thinking about this 20 percent salary increase. Are there any chances you could negotiate for potentially a higher salary? I'm not sure where you are in the process. But I really try to resell your skills to this new company and let them know that you you really want this job, but you'd also be walking away from super good benefits to do so. And would they consider a 30 to 40% increase to make it work, to uh, entice you to come over, whatever that, that language is for you that you feel comfortable? Have you gone back to them and seen if you can bump that 20% up just a little bit more where maybe it might make a little bit more sense for you. And I always go back to this idea, this really old school idea of a pros and cons list, but I make pros and cons lists for all the big decisions in my life because there's something really powerful about looking at it on paper. So write down all the pros and cons of the old company versus the new company and and see it actually in print in front of you. Then what I do is a trick I call the one, two, three trick. So I put a one, a two, or three next to each thing in terms of number one, it matters to me a lot. Number two, I'm so-so about it, no big deal. And number three, I really don't like this thing. And once I've done that, then I go back and I look at my numbers and usually that gives me a pretty good indication of what my decision should be. Now, 
Just because you get that out on paper doesn't mean that has to be your decision. But at least you have the information. At least you know how you feel about it. And so you know that when you're making the decision, you're coming to it from a place of some sort of thought, right? You've you've really thought this one out versus just jumping at the new offer because of the 20% increase. I think I think actually your question is really smart because you're you're pausing and you're saying, mm, does this does this actually make sense? Another thing is of of course you could still contribute if they new company has a 401k even if they don't have the match. And maybe you explore opening up a Roth IRA if you're within the income guidelines or a traditional IRA and stash away some more money if you have that available to you. In the meantime, and who knows, maybe that company might change their policy going forward. I mean, I've seen companies who had matching programs in place for years, and then all of a sudden they took away the match. So I'm not saying that they'll suddenly magically add a match in, but I think what I'm trying to get you to think about is how important is that to you versus like you say, you really want to work at this new job. Is there a way to get the salary a little bit higher? Lots of different scenarios here, but this isn't this isn't a perfect science, but maybe you can get the new company up just a little bit higher to at least make that move make more sense financially. But this is such a great question. And Brandon, I can tell that you are you are really like dialed in because you're asking the right questions, you're thinking about this, you're trying to think through everything without just jumping on the first offer. So I hope that gave you just a little bit of guidance. If you're like Brandon and you're sitting there and you have a question that you want to ask, what are you waiting for? I don't even have to say your name if you tell me not to. I've done plenty of anonymous questions. So you can head over to the link in the show notes to ask your question or head over to the podcast hub, mmoneypodcast.com. And right on the homepage, on the bottom of the homepage, there's an Ask Shauna section. Fill it out because I cannot wait to answer your question. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Hi, NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast will give you practical knowledge you can use to level up your finances. I'm Sean Piles, and every week I sit down with NerdWallet's expert nerds to answer your money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. You'll learn how to manage your investments, understand your credit score and your tax bills, get pro tips for organizing your expenses and putting more money into your savings, and a whole lot more. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money can help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about whether you're on track to meet your money goals. You'll get the clarity that you need to make smart money decisions with confidence so you don't lose out on what money can do for you. Plus, we keep our episodes short and sweet so you can get smart about personal finance faster than you can say high-yield savings account. Smart money is the smartest way to get even smarter about your money. So listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow the show to download new episodes as they become available for free. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast soon. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. 
If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks, where they explain how you get started right away. And back to basics of building our portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A question I get asked a lot uh, by listeners are like, okay, I've done, I have a strong emergency fund. I'm investing in my 401k, at least up to the match. I, you know, I, I, I'm checking off like some of the commonly talked about right. boxes on my list. Like, what do I do next? Like, you know, how do I figure out like where to go next? I mean, is that a conversation that that really needs to be had with a financial planner or like a third set of eyes? Or, um, you know, I guess, how do you how do you evaluate from like that standpoint, what direction you go into versus yeah, your money just going away? Right. Um, well, I think that's a great question. And you know, you're absolutely spot on that. A lot of people, if you're doing nothing else, you've never spoke to a financial planner, you've never seen the need, um, or you're not saving, you know, additionally, you're probably, you know, saving into your checking savings account each month and you have a 401k, right? Those are the two right. first things that everybody sets up with. I do a lot of public speaking around the city and I always ask, you know, what's the very first investment account you most of you started with? And the 401k is always the answer because it's easy, it's automated, you don't have to think about it. And I'll get back to that in a little bit because I think there's a key in that for how we want to do everything else. But you know, the way we focus on thinking about saving money and how we want to be saving and where to is we think of it in our bucketing plan. Because you, I like what you said before about you know, the time horizon of your money or what it's ultimately going for. That's yeah. the most important question that we can ask when somebody says, hey, I have 5000 a month to save. Where should it be going? And I'll say, I, well, at this point, I have absolutely no idea because we need to figure out what that money is ultimately going to be spent on. So we've broken it out in terms of three buckets. Now later and last, as I like to call it, because depending on what that money is going to be for and the time horizon of when we're looking to spend it really dictates the sort of vehicles we want to use, the amount of risk we want to take, the amount of growth we can expect. So kind of to your first point, that now bucket is our cash cushion. It's the money that's sitting in our bank. We want at least six months of living expenses you know, sitting in the bank. So if, you know, life happens, things come up that you can draw from that with no risk in the market or fees or penalties, anything like that, you know, it's there sitting for you when you need it. And, and what then, if you're, what yeah. if you're um, one of those like chronic savers where I see this trend a lot, where they maybe are a high earner, they have the six month of living expenses, but you know, they just keep saving, saving, saving kind of in the now bucket out of whether it's fear or not sure what to do. Is there, is there, a point. I mean, I know this is this is a broad right. sweeping no, question, but is there a point where it's like, okay, you've saved enough in your in your now bucket and kind of your safe bucket, like maybe now it's time to 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 branch off, or is that just really different for each person depending on what they do, uh, you know, their their situation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so I think both of what you just said is you know, is pretty accurate. So you know, first off, we say six months of living expenses. That's kind of the minimum. After that, it becomes about, well, how much do you need there just to be comfortable, right? Like just to let your head hit the pillow at the end of the night and let you sleep. So I met you know, a young woman last week that you know, for her, maybe her six-month cushion was 40000 but she liked the idea of it being above 75. Right. It wasn't really a financial reason. It was just it let her sleep at night. So I said, all right, well, that's exactly how much we need to keep there because the more comfortable you are with your now bucket, the more we can do it with our later and last buckets down the road. But after that, and kind of on an ongoing basis, is we set up all of our clients with what we call our wealth creation account, which is making sure that right now, maybe you need 70% of what you're saving to go into that now bucket, right? But to your point of that person that's saving you know, too much to that now bucket, maybe in six months, we take a look at that wealth creation account, which we use to funnel into our three buckets and say, hey, you've now built up your now bucket to exactly how much you're comfortable with and how much you need. Now that 5000 a month that you're saving into your wealth creation account, we can reallocate and redeploy more of that into your later buckets to accomplish more financial goals. So I think it's really important for people to know this is dynamic. It should always be changing. Of course, right. how much you have you know, in your three buckets or in your now bucket right now is going to be totally different than what it's going to be five years, 10 years from now. And as long as we're always changing to fit where you're at in life, 
I think we, we kind of outrun that risk of just sitting on too much in cash or just having too much sitting in the bank. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like the bucket approach because I think it's something that I often talk about wealth buckets. It's the same thing. It's it's something that people like visually can wrap their brains around. They know what a bucket looks like exactly. and the, the theory behind a bucket. Walk us through a little bit like the the later and last buckets. Like what would that look like for someone who's maybe, you know, like 20s, 30s, maybe even like early 40s? Like what would those sort of buckets look like? Right. And it's funny, like everybody I talk to the buckets is like, yeah, we know the buckets. Of course, like this isn't, you know, the buckets aren't rocket science. It's not like we invented this great thing, but I think a lot of people use it and it's out there because it's just, it's such an easy way to think about what our money is geared to do, like what exactly. the goals of it is. So that, you know, that totally makes sense to me. And more people, you know, the more, I think just in our experience of using it, people get more comfortable knowing what each bucket is for. Um, I would say our last bucket is, you know, I think about, those are our retirement accounts, 401ks, 403bs. Uh, Roth IRAs, IRAs, SEP if you're a 1099 self-employed. And that's money that we really can't touch even if we wanted to until we're 59 and a half without penalties, um, you know, taxes and you know, all that stuff we want to try to avoid. So that bucket is really our, more, our most long-term growth-oriented bucket. Because if we're sitting here at 30 or 35 or 25 and we know we have 20 years plus, well, if the market goes down six months from now, that really doesn't affect us in that bucket really at all, because we know we have time for the market to rebound. So those retirement accounts, you know, we like to stash away in that last bucket and we can afford to take on the most risk because we bought ourselves that time horizon. Um, so that, and that's pretty, you know, that's for everybody, obviously in different amounts, we should be saving pre-tax and Roth is kind of a separate conversation, but all of that kind of fits comfortably for now in that last bucket. I think the later bucket and kind of that middle bucket that we talk about is really the most unique. And I think it's where we can come into play, you know, as financial planners the most, because that's really what you're looking to do in the next five, 10 years. And that's going to be different depending on every person that's sitting in that in that meeting. Right. If you're saying, hey, well, my kids are you know, 10 and 12 and college is coming up in the next decade. Well, that middle bucket, the way we're allocated, the way we're invested is going to look a lot different than somebody that are planning to have their first kid you know, next July. And they exactly. have 18 plus years to have it. So I think that soon bucket is the one that's most differentiated between, you know, kind of where you're at, obviously for couples or families, you know, college planning fits in pretty comfortably in there. Individual and individual investment accounts may go in there. If you're looking to make, to make a down payment on a home, maybe in five, 10 years, it would fit in there. I would say anything under two, we're probably keeping in our now bucket, but again, you know, to not ramble on, on that middle bucket, because I can keep going. I think that's the most, you know, that's the one that you really want to make sure is most specifically tied to where you're at. And I, and I like that too, because it, like you say, I mean, it really is going to be different for, for every person. And I know that there's definitely someone who's listening who kind of keeps coming back to this question over and over again. So I want to answer it for them. Tell me a little bit, like, what exactly happens when you work with a financial planner? Like, is, is that something that is approachable for someone who's maybe not making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year? And like, what kind of goes on when you actually work with a financial planner like yourself? Right. So I think that's a great question because I think a lot of people, and especially a lot of young people, you know, they might be making great money, but in the back of their head, you know, they have this understanding that, well, if I don't have $2 million to invest right now, there's really no point in, you know, talking to a planner or I don't, you know, they're just, they're not even willing to talk to me, which, you know, believe it or not, I, I hear that a lot. If somebody calls up and say, Hey, you know, I don't know if I have enough. And I always try to get that off the table because at least the way that we work, you know, the investable assets or how much you currently have is really irrelevant to the planning process. Um, so that's kind of first off. And, you know, first off, if whether you need an advisor or not, and you know, my dad always likes to say, and I keep quoting him because most of what I say, I just kind of stole from him over the years. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, why and, not? Right. And why not? If he's got it, I sat in enough meetings when I was just starting out. Um, hey, I hear you. I've worked with my dad too. So I, 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 I speak your language. <laughs> exactly. I need to give credit where credit is due. Um, but he always says, if, you know, if you have the, the time, the energy, the inclination and the knowledge to do it yourself. Yeah, there are plenty of people that do that and they seem to be in pretty good shape. What I always come back to is, you know, when I think about the most financially successful people that I know, the you know, independent people that are later in life, typically, and I can only speak to myself, most of them got that way by focusing on what they do really well, specializing in that, focusing all their energy on that, and then hiring, you know, smart people that they trust, and that trust is really the most important piece of it, that they trust to handle the rest. Right. It's why, you know, I have an accountant or I don't do right. I don't do my own taxes yes. or cut my own hair and I can go on and on. <laughs> um, but but I think our financial planning is probably you know worth, if you know, at least as much as we're putting into those other areas. 
So that's why I would say, you know, and again, some people do it themselves and they're in great shape. But that's where I do think of financial planners to allow you to really focus on what you do well, spend time with your family, do all these things and make sure that someone you trust and like, you know, is looking at the bigger picture because you're kind of wrapped up in the trees. So that's kind of just on a high level. But I would say as far as a young person, whether they're, you know, they know if they're able to get started or not, at least for us, every single new client that we work with, we start with a written financial, we call it our financial life plan, which we've actually trademarked, but it's basically fundamentally answering the question, are you on the right track, right? Like, is there a roadmap to let you know that you're going to achieve your goals in five years, 10 years, and through retirement? And that's really independent of what assets may come later on or what your income is, because I think a lot of even financial planners kind of work backwards and the investments kind of become the plan, right? right? And if the yep, investments yep. are doing well, if the market's up, all right, I'm in great shape. And if they're not, then not so much. Whereas we want to kind of work the other way. And everything we do starts with that plan, starts with that roadmap, that checkup. Similarly to when you go to a doctor, you know, that first doctor's appointment, you're not getting medicine for how you're feeling that day, right? They're going to be asking you, you know, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Um, you know, are you in a relationship? Are you stressed at work? We need to run these five tests to figure out what's going on. And then after all of that work, all of that stuff, they're going to come back and say, hey, here's what we need to change from a dietary perspective, from, you know, from medicine perspective, from a lifestyle. And only then do you really get started on that next steps. That's kind of how we see our financial planning process. And again, I'm, you know, not everybody has to use the drug wealth process, but I think focusing on the goals, on what we're focused on, on our cash flow, as opposed to just how much I have in the bank or what I'm making is a way to get started, you know, the sooner as opposed to waiting until you get to that point. Oh, I think that's you just gave like a great overview because I think sometimes people are feeling like they should work with a financial advisor. I get to question all the time, but there's kind of this notion out there that, yeah, unless you have a ton of cash that most people won't talk to. And for a lot of planners, it, it might still be that way. I would, you know, the thing I think that is really cool about younger planners is really they're they're kind of changing the dynamic a little bit and understanding that life is just different. We're different now. We, you know, we make money differently than maybe our parents or grandparents and things just look a little bit differently. And there's all sorts of new cool ways that you can work with planners, you know, be it virtually or you you name it. And it's just a whole different way of like having that experience. So I think it's always really good to like just reassure people that there are lots of different ways if this is the help you really need to, to get you pointed on the right path. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Well, I'd I'd love to just kind of sum it up a little bit. We we've talked about so much, but I'd like to go back to this idea of of Henry's and maybe if you could encapsulate like one or two, three, maybe some different steps that that Henry's if they if they're fitting in this bucket, like what can they do right now, right after they listen to this episode to to get themselves like in a better money situation or or pointed in the right direction. Right. So I've already harped on the whole writing your goals down thing. So they're like, everyone listening is, all right, we get it. Write down our goals. So um, I won't go on any more about that specifically. But then after that, you know, the way we talk about saving money, you know, a lot of people say, well, what should I be cutting out of my budget or how to budget? And that really becomes the opening conversation. And I like thinking about it working backwards by saying, well, how much do I need to, not how much can I spend, but how much do I need to save to get to where I want to go? Does that mean I need to be saving 15% of my income, 20 30, whatever that number is, and then and then starting the conversation by saying, all right, I need to commit to saving 1500 a month, 2000 5000 whatever that number is, and save that right off, right, right in the beginning. I like to call it paying yourself first so that, you know, for example, for myself, the first of every month, I know 25 to 30% of what I'm taking in, I'm allocating and I'm saving for the future. And then I live wow. off the rest, right, as opposed to writing every cup of coffee that I spend money on yes. and, you know, and figuring out my budget that way. I say, hey, I have this much money left over over the months to spend on. So I don't need to worry exactly where it's going because I've, I already know I've done what I needed to in order to pay myself first. So I think, you know, just kind of flipping that conversation, it makes saving money and planning for the future more of a priority instead of, well, if I have money left over at the end of the month, that's how much I'm going to save. And, I, you know, thinking about it logically, like how much are we really going to save if it's that low on the totem pole of our financial priorities? Probably not much. Probably, <laughs> probably not that much. We always uh, we always talk about just as an example, if you know if I were to come you know, for somebody listening, if I were to come to your apartment, your house, and say, hey, you know your mortgage, your rent is going to go up a thousand bucks a month, five hundred bucks a month. First of every month, I'm going to come over 
put out my hand and you need to drop the, you know, those dollars in my hand or we're kicking you out. And I say, would you move? And I do this at workshops. I, did, I had a workshop last week and some guy in the back goes, yep. Yeah, immediately. He's like, I would go get my luggage and just you know, move out that second. But most of the time people say, nah, I'd be able to figure it out, right? I'd be able to save more. I, I know I'm spending money, you know, not in the best way here, here and here. I would figure it out to stay in that apartment. And I always say, all right, well, cool. That means we know you have that $500 to save extra if it were more a priority, right? If it was something that we were thinking about and there was a goal attached to it. So just an exercise. And again, that doesn't work for everyone. Some people will say, no, I'm pretty much at my limit. I would move. But I think it sets a stage and sets us up for a deeper conversation. I am a huge fan of the buckets of money approach that Gideon talked about. I talk about it all the time with my friends and they kind of look at me a little bit crazy, but the wealthiest people that I have experienced, that I have gotten to know in my in my lifetime have this concept down pat. They have these buckets of wealth. So if one thing happens to one bucket of money, they don't freak out because they've got these other buckets. So I really think that strategy goes such a long way. And it's a very, very, very simple premise. But if you could understand it, I think it's really going to, I'm going to use the word revolutionize the way you think about money. So you can pick up Gideon's new book, How to Avoid Henry Syndrome, Financial Strategies to Own Your Future on Amazon, everywhere books are sold. I'll have a link in the show notes. But the coolest thing I think is this, Gideon is donating 100% of the proceeds to an organization called Folds of Honor that provides educational scholarships to spouses and children of fallen and disabled service members. I don't really know anybody else who has done that with their book. So I think this is just a really amazing example of Gideon's heart. So my friend, we are changing up our language around money on this podcast to help everyone unlock the lives you want to live. Now you're part of this movement, so it's up to us all to invite other people into the journey. So share this episode with a friend, a family member, someone you know that really needs to hear this information about the Henry syndrome and how to own your financial future. Invite them in so we can all have this really cool conversation about money in a new, fun, and fresh way. Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the behind the scenes on today's episode, make sure to check out the show notes. You can find all our episodes at mmoneypodcast.com. If you love this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.